0: good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Can you turn me down just a little bit? Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers, Um, because if we didn't have moms, we wouldn't be here. So thank you all you mothers. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Um, I do not have a Mother's Day message, so if that's why you were here, I am sorry. <laughs> so, but if you could, please open your Bibles to uh, Psalm chapter 1. Psalms 1 is what we'll be looking at in the next two weeks. I'm going to take two weeks to go through this psalm. and Actually, after studying this psalm, we could probably spend um, actually probably a, a couple of months in this psalm. It's so it deep and it's so rich and it's so convicting that I hope the message today, the sermon we have today, brings a little bit of justice to the psalm because it is so rich and it is so full of uh, good things for us and uh, bad things for us if we are not in Christ. So let's go ahead and pray and then we'll dig in. Father, we just thank you for the songs that we sang today, Lord. We come and we worship you. We lift our hearts to you, Lord. and We do ask that your Holy Spirit would come and open our ears and our eyes to hear and see how good and how rich you are. Father, I just ask your blessing upon this sermon. Father, I pray that... Uh, You would be with those in India, Lord. Give them much grace. And may your gospel be seen and truly be a light to those who are in these dark places, Father. May you be glorified to save there. May you be glorified to save here. Lord, may, if there's any here that don't know you, may you shine the light of the glory of your gospel in the face of Christ to them today. We ask this in your name. Amen. So as we look at Psalm 1, we have to understand, first of all, there's no backstory to Psalm 1 at all. There's not a backstory to it, but most theologians believe that this is the open gate into the Psalms. And so we have the beginning of the open gate. There is no backstory. Um, They don't know who the author is. The author is not King David. And so we'll simply look at it as the psalmist, or we'll look at it as God is the author of these things. So we can break down the psalm, though, and I would like to break down the psalm. Here's how the psalm is, is depicted, is it separates people. All, per- all people are spiritually separated in this psalm. We have a picture of the righteous, which is 1, 1 through 3, and we have a picture of the wicked, which is in verse 4. And secondly, all people are separated judicially in this psalm. All people are separated judicially. The failure of the guilty in verse 5, the fruition of lifestyle in verse 6, the recognition of the godly in 1, 6a, and the destruction of the wicked in 1, 6b. So that's how we can break down the psalm in, in its in its context, there. So today, what I want us to look at is the righteous person, the blessed man, is what this says. The characteristics of a righteous person, and the picture of the righteous person. So, if you would, if you would stand with me as we read this psalm, please, and then we will we will look at the righteous. Here's what the psalmist writes. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You may be seated. So the picture of the righteous, what I want to look at, first of all, is is his description The description of the righteous man or the blessed man, verse one, right? Blessed is the man. This word blessed, Jesus uses in the Beatitudes as we see in chapter five of Matthew. Jesus uses blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and so forth and so on. But this blessed man He is blessed in many different ways. First of all, I want to look at that he is blessed because his sins are forgiven. His sins are forgiven. Psalms 32, 1 and 2 says this. Blessed is the one whose transgression transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. His sins are forgiven. The blessed man takes refuge in the Lord, Psalms thirty-four eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. This description of the blessed man puts his trust in the Lord, Psalms eighty-four twelve. Oh, Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in You. He fears the Lord. We see this in the Proverbs, right? Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, or vice versa, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? But in Psalms 112.1, we see, Praise the Lord! Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. And he is also a blessed man, and he is also described as one who has faith in the Lord. He has faith in the Lord. John twenty twenty nine says this. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now that's in the context of Thomas. Thomas was doubting that the Lord had risen from the grave and so Jesus comes and says, here's my hands, here's my feet, put your fingers in my hands. And then Thomas believes and he says, and he calls him his God and then Jesus comes and says, blessed are we who believe yet we haven't seen. So because of these, because of this trust that the blessed man has in the Lord, then we see the rest of verse 1. This blessed man does not take counsel in the wicked. This is his description. The blessed man does not walk or travel in the advice or plans or purposes of the wicked. He has no relationship. He has no dealings in those areas. He does not stand in the way of sinners. The blessed man does not stand in the way or the path or the route or the road of the guilty. He stays far away from these things. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. The scoffers that that will scoff at his religion will scoff at his God. He does not sit in that seat. But we have to be careful in one area. We can't completely take ourselves out of the world, can we? Because we live in a world. We live in a world where we have to deal with sinners, right? And we have to deal with the ungodly. And we have to deal with scoffers. We have to be able to, to live in that world. And we have to not completely take unbelievers and, and separate them out of our lives. We have to have unbelievers in our lives because who else are we going to evangelize to? We have to have people in our lives that we can share the gospel with, and so we can't do that, but we do have to be careful how intimate we become with them. We do have to be careful with that. In, um, I think it's 2 Corinthians 6 where, we, where uh, uh, Paul talks about you know being unequally yoked with an unbeliever, and we use that as a... Uh, a marriage metaphor all the time where we always go to that and that's good but I think it also means in our very intimate relationships too. It means in our intimate relationships but what I want us to look at is what 1 Corinthians 15.33 says because it's pretty plain and simple that we can't have these intimate relationships with with uh, with the, uh, the guilty or the wicked or the scoffer because this is what it says do not be deceived, be deceived. bad company Ruins good morals or corrupts good morals. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say good morals is going to change bad company. But it does say bad company can corrupt good morals. So we see in this first point, in this first verse, we see a description of the blessed man. Secondly, we see his desires. We see his desires. Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord in and on his law he meditates day and night I have to admit this verse drove me crazy all week it drove me nuts because this is not me. The minute most Christians sit down and they read this verse and they start looking at verse one and they say, blessed is the man, they're thinking to themselves, this is me. Yeah, I don't walk in the, in the way of the guilty or sit in the seat of scoffers, but is this you? Does this verse describe you? Is your delight... Is your desire, is your pleasure, is that in the law of the Lord? Is it in his word? Is it in his son? Is it in Christ? Is that where your affections are? This psalmist, he's got true affections. He has true desires. He finds all his pleasure in the law of the Lord. It is genuine affection. It is affections that are changing his heart over and over and over Again, this does not describe me. These affections, you will never hear the psalmist say this, I have to read. You ever said that? When you go to get to your Bibles, oh, I have to read today. Or this, I have to pray today. Or I have to meditate on his word today. You never have to say that. You know, so here's a good example for me. I like chocolate chip cookies. I really like chocolate chip cookies. If anybody feels like making me chocolate chip cookies, you can. <laughs> Thank you. But make extra. But I, but I love chocolate chip cookies, right? And you, never, I, you, you, and you can ask Jenny, I have never said this. I have to eat another chocolate chip cookie. Right? It's because I find that pleasure. I find that joy. I find that delight in that bite of chocolate chip cookie. The psalmist is saying the same thing. He's saying that he finds his joy and his pleasure and his delight as he bites into that, that richness of God's Word. Listen to Psalm 119, one six, or 119, 16. All of these verses are out of Psalm 119. If you want to read a, a psalm that just deals with God's word and David's delight in this word, uh, do Psalm 19 and 119 together. But listen to what he, what, what he says. 119, 16. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Psalm 119.24, your testimonies are my delight, they are my counselors. Psalm 119.47, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Listen to the the emotion, the intensity, the the pleasure, the desire, which I love. Love. He's saying God's word is is what he loves, it's what he cherishes, it's what he adores. We 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 sang that today, you know. Let us adore Christ. Is Christ who you adore? Is he is he the one you find ultimate pleasure in? Psalm one nineteen ninety two If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And finally, in Romans 7, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So we see where, where even Paul delights in his inner being in the law of God. So how come, how come I don't delight? How come you don't delight? How come we don't have these affections like we we're supposed to have? And I think it's because there's so many things out there that want our affections, that our affections are drawn to, Right? And they're not all bad. It's not bad to have affections for other things. Like, you know, things that can demand my affections might be my family, my friends. But then we can have things that can override us, like money. Money can be something that, that we have desires for that, 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 that can be bad. How about this one? Uh, time. Right? right? We, we, we don't have time. And time draws our affections. You know, material stuff can draw our affections. Social events can draw our affections. This week was a, was a madhouse of a week for me and Jenny. It seemed like we had something going on all the time, all the time, all the time, and just demanded our time, and it de- demanded our efforts, and, and it took all of our affections. But these aren't bad things. We just have to learn how to balance them out. There are two problems with the things that demand our affections versus having our affections for Christ. And here are the two problems. One, they will disappoint us. All the things that we that are that are material, that we put our affections into, they're going to disappoint us. And why are they going to disappoint us? Because two, they don't last. They burn up. That's what happens. Marriages. As I look around here, marriages—they're temporary, are they not? They're temporary, but we put so much affections into them. So I want to just challenge us today to start to put our affections in the right area, to put our affections in the law of the Lord, to put our affections and our delight into Christ. Where we put them, Henry Schugel. Now I'm going to give you guys a couple of quotes. They—they, they, they're my favorite quotes. But if you need to read them over again, just you can come and get them. But Henry Skugel, in his book, The Life of God and the Soul of Man, says this. The worth and excellency of a soul is measured by the object of its affections. Again, the worth and excellency of a soul is measured by the object of its affections. He's saying that what you value the most is how much you value your soul that which you value the most, put your most affections in, that's how much you value your soul. Jonathan Edwards puts it in a different way. Tis the soul's relish of the supreme excellency of the divine nature, inclining the heart to God as the chief good. I'll repeat that one. That one's a little bit tougher. The soul's relish of the supreme excellency of of the divine nature, inclining the heart to God as the chief good. The blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. Not only does he delight in this law, but he meditates on this law. This word meditate means thoughtful deliberation. It's work, right? It's work, it's thoughtful deliberation. It's, it's work. We, we have to work to meditate. It's just not sitting and being like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, or um, um. But it's, it's, it's thoughtful deliberation on the word of God. It's thinking deep on the word of God, on the riches of the word of God. Psalms 104 puts it this way, verse 34. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Again, Psalm 119.15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Psalm 119.97-99, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding on all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. He meditates on these these riches of God's word. Joshua 1.8 puts it this way. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Philippians 4.8, Paul writes and puts it this way. Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Meditate upon these things. I love this verse in Philippians 4, eight because Paul says, whatever is true, tell me one thing that is truer than Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing. There is nothing truer than Jesus Christ. There is nothing more honorable than Jesus. There is no one more just than Jesus. There is no one more pure than Jesus or lovely than Jesus or who's commendable than Jesus, who is more excellent than Jesus or worthy of praise that is Jesus. Think upon Jesus. That is what Paul is saying in Philippians 4, 8. Meditate upon him. Meditate upon his word. Meditate upon his person and his work The blessed man simply thinks on the word of God. It seeps down deep into his soul where it begins to change his heart. This is not me. And this is why it's not me. Because I just don't love Jesus enough. I love Jesus, but I don't love Jesus enough. And this is something that I confess on a regular basis, that I just don't love him enough to spend that kind of time in his word with him. The psalmist is clear. His delight, his pleasure, all of his affections are for the law of the Lord, are for Jesus. Therefore, he has depth in his life. Right? Look at verse 3. He has depth in his life. You know, when we think of a tree, he's like a tree planted by streams of waters that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. We have trees at our house. And we got these, we pretty much got three trees at our house, and that's it. We got this big tree in the backyard, we got a miniature peach tree, which is not miniature, and we got this funky, dunky Asian pear tree that Jenny likes and I don't because it gets in the way when I mow the lawn. But they all produce leaves and they all produce fruit. And that's because they're, they're rooted, they're rooted, they're, they're down deep, they're, they're, they're rooted deep. The, the the one tree I looked up on the internet that has the deepest roots, anybody got any clue what it is? It's called the shepherd tree, isn't that amazing? And it's like in the middle of the desert. <laughs> but it has the deepest roots, and it's called the shepherd's tree, but our tree, it it. It, they, they blossom and they bloom and they give fruit. So my, my point is, is, these trees have good, solid roots. We water them and we take care of them so that in the right season, they, 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 they give us fruit. But what I want us to also say in this verse is that this is a tree that is planted, right? He is like a tree planted. He is planted. I wrote this down. He does not plant himself. In the kingdom of God. But God transplants him as a means of salvation and grace. You see, this is a person that is, tra- that is planted. God has planted this person. God is growing this person. God is, is doing this work. Psalms 92.12 The righteous flurry like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Psalms 92.13 they are planted in the house of the Lord, they flourish in the courts of God, and they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and cream. So we see where the Psalmist is, is talking about people that are planted like a cedar in Lebanon. Jeremiah seventeen eight says this He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes. For its leaves remain green, and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Brothers and sisters, do you get anxious? Do you get those anxious feelings? When we're anxious about stuff? Well, well what, is, what does the Lord say? And is not anxious in the year of drought. When, when, when troubles come, when there's, when there's no food, There's no water, there's drought, and my grass might not be green. Do I get anxious? Well, if we are, if we are rooting ourselves in Christ and we're planted by the streams of his word and we're bearing fruit in that season, we will not become anxious. Guess what will happen? We will become even grounded deeper because we will look to Christ even more. He will become even more our delight. He will become even more our pleasure. He will become even more our desires. I, I, Isaiah 61.3 To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called oaks, solid oaks, oak trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, that he may be glorified. You see, the psalmist, he says that he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruits. He's planted by these streams, but it is to bring glory to God. It is to bring absolute glory to God the Blessed man bears fruit. Now we talked about bearing fruit in psalm fifty one also right so we 're not going to go into too much detail, but he bears fruit in its seasons, right. Listen to the verse again. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons and whatever, and its leaf does not wither in all that he does. he prospers. We see this 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 uh, Fruit being produced. But why is, why is fruit produced in the Christian life? Why is fruit produced in the Christian life? John 15 tells us exactly why fruit is produced in the Christian life, right? John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my Father, father is the vine dresser. So Jesus, in his seven I am's in the book of John, clarifies one of them here. I am the true vine. He's not any other vine. He is the only true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, Dwell in me, take refuge in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Fruitful apart from Christ, we taught uh, uh, the Bart Campolo in this American gospel that we look at uh, that we talked about today. He does many good things, but it means nothing apart from Christ. They're just dead works. They're just dead works. It's Christ. You cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Brothers and sisters, are we abiding in Christ? Are we dwelling in Christ? Colossians says that the Word of God dwells richly within us. Does that describe you? Is His Word dwelling richly within you? The blessed man bears fruit, and in all he does, he prospers. Right We see this in the life of Joseph in Genesis. We see this in the life of Joseph when Joseph gets taken to Potiphar's house. Everything that he did, he prospers because God is with him. He was fruitful, and then he gets arrested and he gets thrown in with the 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 baker and the cupbearer, right? And and what happens when he's in jail? He prospers in jail because the Lord is with him. And then he interprets Pharaoh's dream and next thing we know, he's the second in command and everything he does, he prospers because the Lord is with him. Because the Lord is his delight. He meditates upon him. Brothers and sisters, you want to grow in Christ? Abide in him. Dwell in him. Have affections for him. And this will happen. And finally... The blessed man's destination. The blessed man's destination. Look at verse 6 of Psalm 1. This way it says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. This no, the word no, is not any normal no. It's not just a recognition like I know Dave and Dave and I like the giants and so we can talk about the giants. It's not that I know Chad and Lori or uh, Michael and Mary. It's not that type of no. It's an intimate no. It's an intimacy no. Jesus knows intimately Right. This, this is what he says. Therefore the wicked, or in verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows him. The Lord knows him. And we, we have to go back to verse 2, right? How does the Lord know him? Because his delight is in him. Verse 2 is the key verse to this whole psalm. It's the key verse to this whole psalm. He, he's intimate with who Christ is. He's intimate with the word of God. John 10, 14, did you get him up there? Oh, you got him up there, right on. So John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. The same word, that know in the the, the Greek is the same word. It's, It's this intimacy. It's this intimacy that Jesus has. So he's saying, I am the good shepherd, I know my own. I know them because they know me, because there's intimacy between us. And also, 2 Timothy 2.19 says this, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. But what once comes from it is, the Lord knows those who are his. In the psalm, right? In the psalm, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows those who are his. Where are we headed? Heaven. To be home with Jesus. To dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Are you looking forward to that time? Are we looking forward to Jesus coming back today? Within the hour? Within the minute? Because none of us know. To be with him forever. Brothers and sisters, if our hearts are abiding in him and our hearts are delighting in him and we are finding pleasure in him, we will be waiting for him. Simple truth. We'll be waiting for him. The Christian life, the believer's life is the same way. We must continually water our soul with the word of God. We must continually water our souls with the word of God and we must fertilize. We must fertilize the heart with prayer so that we will produce fruit. This is the blessed man. This is the righteous man. His description, his delight his depth, and his destination. So today, brothers and sisters, may we be challenged in our affections towards Christ. May we be those who delight ourselves in the word of God, meditating on it day and night, so that we may be trees that are firmly planted and bear fruit. Amen? Amen. let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, just the little nugget that you have given us to chew on this week. Lord, I just pray for for our hearts. Lord, our hearts are so fickle. They're so easily moved. They're so easily drawn away from you by the slightest of things. Lord, may we be your children that delight in your law, that delight in your Son. And may that delight, Lord, may we meditate upon Christ day and night to your glory. Amen.